Well, my name is Nate. Good to be the pastor here at New City. Glad you are here uh, today. Uh, a couple things. One is, if you didn't get the email communication uh, this last week, I just want to get you up to speed. Uh, so on email this last week, also on Instagram and Facebook and all the places that we communicate, uh, we said, hey, it's really good news that those who are uh, vaccinated are no longer required to social distance or, or to wear a mask in service. And so we're grateful that to make announcements of kind of rolling back restrictions. It's kind of a good news uh, story for us. And so hopefully uh, that is good news for you. We do recognize that some people are like, let's go let's do this. And other people are like, let's not. I'm a little bit nervous and my habits have been formed and, you know, or whatever. And we understand that. And I just want you to know everybody's respected here. And so uh, you're respected uh, wherever you are on your journey and whatever's going on with you in terms of, you know, uh, vaccination or not, whatever. We, you're respected. Uh, in this series, we're talking about loving our neighbors. And that's one thing we've been leading with uh, in our entire response to this pandemic from the very beginning is just what can we do to best love our neighbors? And that's where we are leaning into. How do we do that? How do we love our neighbors well? Uh, in this series, we're talking about the blessed practices. The blessed practices are kind of practices of everyday life. Be prayerful, listen, eat, serve, and story. If you were like wondering, how do I bless my neighbors? How can I be a blessing to my neighbors? This is how you do it. You start by being prayerful. Uh, you can maybe even just have a prayer walk around your neighborhood. You can listen to the stories of your neighbors and what's going on in their lives. You can invite them over and have a meal. Uh, you can serve them and look for practical ways to be a service to others. You can share the good news of Jesus, and that's what our message is on today, is sharing uh, your story and Jesus' story and how those two stories intersect. So we're going to be studying 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, we're going to start in verse 11 of the reading. We'll, we'll spend some time in, uh, in other areas of 2 Corinthians 5. So I'm going to read the text, uh, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll jump into our study together. And so if you've got a Bible you want to open up to, you want to follow along on the screen, you're welcome to do that. If you've got an app, you can do that on our New City app. There's a quick link to the text that way, too. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But we are, <laughs> as is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Uh, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a good news that we can pray over right now. So, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for, uh, for, for dying for our sins, being buried, rising from the grave, conquering our sin and death, giving us your righteousness. What a gift to know that right now we can be right with ourselves, right before you, right with others in this ministry of reconciliation. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ministry that you have done to reconcile us, to make us right with you and we pray you'd send us out as reconcilers in the world today and i ask for your wisdom in this teaching that we might honor your word that we might live in response to it it's in your name lord just we pray amen uh, sorry, this blessed series, the reason why we're, we're using a very practical sort of framework of, of be prayerful, listen, eat, serve, and share. The reason why we're, we're using this for a framework is because we want to make it really simple and repeatable and so you know what to do. Because we want to, in this series, move beyond hoping our friends will experience the renewal story of Jesus to helping our friends to experience the renewal story of Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. Say, you know what? How do we move from hoping our friends and our neighbors will experience the good news of Jesus to helping them? Well, we need a strategy. Here's the strategy. Uh, this is how you do it. Uh, so as we start thinking about this strategy, I just want you, to, want you to walk into the world of the text, but also walk into the world we've been living in uh, over the last, you know, whatever, uh, period of time. Uh, and one of the things that's pretty clear in the world that we've been living in, and, that, and it's really interesting how this world intersects with the text, is that everyone wants justice. I mean, everyone wants justice. Uh, it's, 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 it's everywhere you turn. Everyone wants justice. Uh, everybody wants somebody to pay. Everybody wants somebody to be held accountable. Everybody wants somebody to make it right. Everybody wants justice. Uh, you can't turn on the sports radio without seeing everybody wanting some justice. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you one debate that's one that I'm very you know, in, you know, keen on, and that's uh, LeBron or MJ. Like, you know, who's, who's the greatest of all time? Of course it is not LeBron, right? I mean, it, it is MJ, the greatest of all time, and, and, and we need to, you know, write the story here. Uh, everybody wants justice, but, you know, justice is really the kind of the, the making of things right. That's what justice is, and, and when you experience it, you go, okay, this is, this is, this feels like this is moving towards sort of things that are right. Like last night, I was at the uh, United game, and it was really just a kind of wild and fun experience, and, and watching uh, the, uh, the crowd celebrate at three to one uh, victory for United, which was really great. It felt like the world was getting set back to rights again. Uh, it felt like, man, things were kind of going in the, the other direction. And I know that some people are like, oh, no, and some, let's, let's go. And I understand there's tension there, but here's the deal. Like, it feels good to have, like, fewer restrictions. It feels good that way. And it kind of feels like things are getting stored back to rights again. And that's what justice is. Justice is the world set to rights. It's the world set right again. And everyone knows, listen, they're not who they're supposed to be. Like, that's a common human experience. Everybody knows they're not who they're supposed to be. Um, but what is really uh, one of those common human experiences that we don't often talk about is that everyone knows that you are not who you're supposed to be. Uh, that's, um, that's really awful, that experience of knowing that other people know that I'm not living my full self. Uh, you know, I, I want to live as if everybody thinks I'm living my full self, but I know that everybody knows I'm not living my full self. In fact, your, your spouse, you know, if you're married, your spouse really knows you're not living your full self. Like, they just know, okay? They're, they know you're not who you're supposed to be. And, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, you've got children, you know your children, just not who they're supposed to be. It's, it's just hard to escape this reality, and that's why the fear of being found out is a universal human experience. Like, every human being who's ever lived is, is worried about being found out. 
that somebody's going to realize they're a fraud. They're not who they really are putting themselves out to be. And we've never had like tools like we have today that putting our best self, you know, putting a version of ourselves forward to the world. Like we've never had the kind of tools we have. And so the stakes have never been higher. And people have never feared more, I think, than our current reality of being found out because there's so much energy being put out to try to put my best self forward. Uh, if you want to, if it makes you feel good, you can tell a neighbor today, hey, you're not who you're supposed to be. And so if you want to do that, you can just turn to somebody now and go, hey, I, I've been wanting to say this, right? You're not who you're supposed to be. It kind of feels good sometimes to just let the truth out, right? Uh, look, every day, every day we see glimpses of what we should be. Every day we see it, just glimpses of what we should be and the way things should be in the world. We see, we, we, we touch it, we feel it, we sense it, uh, while being constantly reminded it's all falling apart. And it's, it's a weird state to be in. Like, you can, you can be at, like, a United game, like I was last night, and I was looking down at my, my, I had my two boys, and we had a, a friend uh, of Corbin's that with us at the game, and it was just like one of these, just the first goal was right in front of us, and it was, like, really exhilarating, and we were cheering, and I looked down, and they were cheering, and I was like, man, it's been a while since we've had this kind of family experience. And it was like, man, there's something really right about this. I just love it. You know, high-fiving after a goal in a match. It's just like a really fun and great experience. And, and it's one of those, like, man, this is really great. But then, you know, just realizing that it's just how fragile those kinds of things are. You know, how fragile community is, how fragile our families are, how fragile our health is, as we've realized during this last year. That it's like there's these glimpses of things that are right, but then there's all these reminders that things are falling apart. And, and so we say things like somebody should do something about this. Like, that's just a common phrase. Like, somebody should, you know, write the ship. Or we say things like, someone needs to be held accountable for this. That's a very common phrase these days, right? Uh, everybody's looking for somebody to be held accountable. Everybody's looking for somebody to pay. Because so, we gotta have to have somebody pay in order to set things right. And one of the things that we learn in this text is that God is a God of justice. And this doesn't always feel like good news. And sometimes I think, you know, in Christian circles, we kind of avoid or step around this idea of God being a God of justice. But when you live in a cancel culture like ours, uh, and, and you know everybody's looking for justice in some place, you know, it does, it does bring good news to know there is somebody who is a judge and who is setting things to rights. So when you read, read verse 11, and by the way, when you're a Bible student, you're reading the, you read the word therefore, uh, this is a kind of a helpful just sort of like Bible class tool, what's the therefore, therefore is a great question right, to ask yourself, but you read that in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, therefore, okay, so he, Paul is uh, writing, and he's saying, I want you, because of what I've said earlier, I want to say this, so I said this thing earlier, and I want to say, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So our argument, uh, and the reason why we make the argument that we're making about uh, the renewal work of Jesus, the reason why we're presenting this argument to the world, is because God's a God of justice. Verse 10, for, must, for we must, this is a verse earlier, this is what is therefore is therefore, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, God is going to judge. Uh, another, to say it this way, God is going to do something about this. And so when, you, when you, you're crying out in that state of like somebody should do something, something should be done about this, well, God is doing something about this. And someone will be held accountable for it. Like that's the good news of the gospel. Somebody will be held accountable. It's good news for you, by the way, because you've been punishing yourself for a very long time for things you've done in the past. And boy, it is good news when you realize Jesus is the one that was held accountable for that. Uh, when, you, when you really kind of realize what it means to embrace the gospel, to so embrace that somebody's being held accountable. 
And so there's four things I want to show you today in this text, and they're really quick. And so you think, oh, what, four points of Nate's preaching. We're going to be here for about an hour and a half. But it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be quick. I, I promise you we're going to move through this. But listen to this. Uh, what's wrong with the world? What will not fix it? How is God, how, how, how is it, how has, it is uh, God making things right? Uh, and, and how to be an ambassador of that message. And so that's what we want to talk about. So what's wrong with the world? That's what we're going to talk about. What's wrong with the world? Uh, let's look at verse uh, 2 of 2 Corinthians 5. This is a few verses earlier from the passage we've been reading. Uh, Paul says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He said, like, uh, you know, we're constantly reminded that the body that we're in is a tent. I mean, that's what we've been reminded of for a year, the fragility of human life, the fragility of our existence. We groan in it because we recognize our own fragility. And Paul says it this way in Romans 8.22, For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So not only are we feeling it, but the whole creation's feeling it. Everybody's feeling it. Uh, You see it all around you, the fragility of life. It's falling apart. Good things are falling apart. That's the bad news. Good things are falling apart. Good things like, you know, relationships have been falling apart this last year. The number of times I've had conversations with people who have said my relationship before, um, you know, in the before times was different than it was during the, you know, living it out times. And during the living it out times, like these last year or so, it's been really, really hard for a lot of relationships. A lot of strain has been put on relationships and good things have been falling apart and people have been experiencing that. Why? Well, because this is the effect of the fall. Uh, there, there are four things that happen in the fall you have to kind of pay attention to, and you have to kind of have your eyes open for them when you see them in the world. And the four broken relationships of the fall were this, the relationship with God. So Adam and Eve sin in the garden, they immediately hide from God, and God comes looking for them in the cool of the day. Our relationship with ourselves, Adam and Eve hide themselves behind leaves. You can't miss that. Uh, what, what the Bible's teaching us is that, that, when, that when we experience sin, we immediately experience vulnerability, we experience the fear of being found out. And so we hide. Uh, our relationship with others uh, you know, Eve's like him, you know, blames Adam, Adam blames Satan, they're hiding from each other, they're hiding from themselves, I mean, there's all this sort of breakdown in relationship, a relationship with nature itself, death became a factor, the world started falling apart, Christian people should be caring about cultivating the planet and caring for the planet, like that should be something we're really keen on, because that's what God said to do, is take care of this place that he gave us, but it's always falling apart, this good thing is falling apart. Everything around us, every relationship is falling apart. And you feel the effects of, of the fall in, in two ways, like I think, in two ways. Extreme vulnerability and extreme sense of isolation, loneliness. This is when you know that the fall has really taken root in your life, when you go, oh, man, I've just been vulnerable. I'm vulnerable at work, I'm vulnerable in my marriage, I'm vulnerable in my singleness, I'm vulnerable in uh, my health, I'm vulnerable in, you just feel the blanks. When you feel vulnerable, when you feel like you're not secure, when you feel like you know, threats around you are all real threats that could really hurt you, and then you start to isolate because more people means more threats, and you start to kind of you know, ho- you know, hunker down and isolate, that's a sign the fall is having its effect in your life. Uh, you can see its effects. It's, it's a good thing falling apart, like community, and like health and security and safety and joy, all of it's falling apart. So what's wrong with the world? The world's falling apart. Well, what will not fix it? And I think it's important to talk about what's not going to fix it. Uh, and, and the reason why it's important to talk about what's not going to fix it is because um, we, we all try these kind of strategies of fixing it. Uh, and so one of the things that's not going to fix it is godless effort. It's not going to fix it. And w- what do I mean by 
godless effort. Uh, I mean like effort that's self-centered, self-focused, self-protectionistic. So when God's at work in you, you do not boast about you. It's one of the signs that God's at work in you. So when God's at work in you, you don't feel like this need to boast about you. You don't feel this need to draw attention to yourself. And so when you look at the text in verse 11 and verses 12, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, he says. And I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. And so false teachers have been coming and they've been putting on a show and these false teachers have been very, very good from the platform and they've been putting on the show and they've been saying, look at us. And he's saying, hey, look, the gospel message when it's really preached with integrity, it's not about looking at us. It's not about the show. Uh, I hope you'll see past the flesh into the heart. I hope you'll see what's really going on. I hope you'll see the good conscience we have. And when God's at work in you, you're controlled by his love. That's what you see when you look in the heart. So when God's, work, when God's at work in you, what you'll see, you'll see selflessness, you'll see a heart controlled by love. For if we are beside ourselves, in other words, I think here he's talking about speaking in tongues. He's saying, hey, I know that you guys have seen that we've been speaking in tongues, and there's been some real high emotion here happening in the church, and if we've been beside ourselves, it's for God. In other words, like we're talking to God, and we're praising God, and we're drawing attention to Him because He's great. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, like listen to our message. Like what we're saying, the persuasive message we've brought to you is important for you to hear and understand. So we've been trying to persuade you that therefore is therefore because God's making things right. We want to persuade you, understand how he's making things right. Listen to our message. For the love of Christ controls us, he says. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. He says, I want you to see that the love of Christ controls us. And the love of Christ is for everyone. That's his message. The love of Christ is for everyone. That's the all here, for everyone. So when God's at work in you, man, you get, you get the selflessness. You get controlled by the love of Christ. When God's love's at work in you, you no longer live for you. You no longer live for yourself. And in verse 15 of our passage today, he says, He died for all that those who lived might no longer live for themselves. One of the signs that you're a Christian. They'll, they'll, know, they'll know you're Christians by your love. That those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, who for their sake died and was raised. Like they're, they're controlled by his love. They're controlled by his love. It's one of, the, one of the signs. So what does godless effort lead to then? If, if godless effort's not, you know, God, if, if effort that's, if, if you're bringing the thing that God's provided and that's selfless, it's controlled by his love, it's living for not yourself but for others, a godless effort like, is self-centered, it's self-justifying behavior, it's, it's self-focused. Now, what, why, now why is this important? If only, if only self-centered people seek justice, everyone gets canceled. Let me see if I can press in on this a little bit. The gospel removes from you vindictive justice. It removes that kind of vindictive justice from your heart. That's what happens. So in 1 Peter 3, 9, here's an application. Peter says, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Instead, I'm going to call you to bless, he says. Bless. So the Christian who's been transformed by the love of Christ doesn't return reviling for reviling. Uh, evil for evil. Uh, let me just press in, okay? Only a just God can remove the endless cycle of violence. 
So if you have a community of people who are self-justifying, self-centered, and they're all looking to make it right, from the position of self-justification and from the position of self-centeredness, you're going to have a bloodbath out there. Because everybody's looking to take their little bit of flesh. Everybody's looking to make it right. Everybody's looking for somebody to pay because somebody's got to pay because the sins have to be accounted for. And we all know it inside. And so people are out there looking for someone to pay. And so Jesus says, you've heard what was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Like, you've heard that. You've heard, if you were saying it today, he might say, you've heard that was said, cancel those who offend you. You've heard what was said, some people are beyond redemption. <laughs> I mean, you've heard what it said. They said it at 16, and it's holding the count. You know, it's like, it's like we, there's, like no, there's, no, like, there's no pathway for reconciliation, only payment, only, only self-centered justice seekers. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, Jesus says. But I said, you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do you, how do, you do something like that? I'm probably not doing a good enough job at this, but let me just say it this way. Godless, self-centered justice seekers may get their pound of flesh, but they'll never bring peace and make things right. And what happens in a world where you're trying to make things right, but you don't have a righteous God on your side, what's happening is you're taking, you're taking justice into your own hands. And when you take justice into your own hands, and you, and you participate in a community of people who are taking justice in their own hands, you're going to get everybody out there trying to get their pound of flesh. And there's just going to be a lot of bloody people in the world. So, so, so who has and is making things right then? That's, that's the question. Only Jesus can make the world right. Only Jesus can make you right with yourself. Uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we said, curse is the one who hangs on the tree, and there he was, hanging on the tree, but then he died and was buried and he rose again. Like, we regarded him just according to the flesh. Like, it didn't make sense to us. We regard him thus no longer. He said, our eyes have, have been changed. We're looking at people differently now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Something new has happened. Jesus changes people. Changes them. Only Jesus can make you right with you. Only Jesus can make you right with others. What, what happens when you've experienced this made new reality? Let me just, let me just, I don't know if this is the right thing to say right now or not, so you know, we'll see if this is what the Lord wants you to know or not. One of the reasons you're not right with you is because you've said in your mind that I should pay for this. I really should pay for this. And you've been punishing yourself for this thing that you've done. Meanwhile, you're going to read in a second that Jesus says, no, I paid for this. The old has passed away, the new has come. You're a recipient of my righteousness, which is a gift to you. It's scandalous. I mean, that's what I'm telling you is scandalous. And in some ways, in your mind, you're going to want to go, eh, that's not really right. I mean, there's, what about consequences? It's like, let's, let's just for a second step out of, like, you know, there are consequences of sin. The hardest person in the world to forgive is you. 
it's just very, very difficult to let yourself off the hook. You, like some people, are, some of the most forgiving people in the world lack the capacity to forgive themselves. This, this is just really remarkable. Only Jesus can make you right with others. He only Jesus can make you right with you. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us this ministry of making things right. That's what reconciliation is, is make relationships right. So he's, he made you right with God, and he gave you this ministry. Go, you go make others right. Go out and start reconciling. Only Jesus can make you right with God, which is the most important and fundamental relationship. But how did, God, how did, how did Jesus make us right with God? This is, this is important. This is why we need a God of justice, by the way. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is how he did it, not counting their trespasses against them. It's not that he stopped counting trespasses or stopped counting sins or stopped counting failures. All sin will be counted. This is why you need a God of justice. It's not that he stopped counting. See, God makes us right by counting our sin against Jesus. That's how he makes us right. By the way, this is the only way you'll ever forgive yourself. The only way you can ever let yourself off the hook if you let Jesus say, I'll take that for you. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. For, for our sake, for your sake, God made Jesus to become your sin on the cross. He counted it on him. It was accounted for. And in your heart, when you're seeking justice, you're like, somebody should pay for this. Just saying, I'll pay for it. In your heart, you're crying out for justice. Somebody should do something about this. Just saying, I'm doing something about it. In your heart, when you're looking at the injustice in the world, you're looking at the injustice in your life, you're looking at the justice in your relationship, you're looking at the justice like in your, you, know, like you just see it all around you. If the good things are falling apart, Jesus is saying, look, I, I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, yes, it should, be, it should be accounted for, and I'm going to account for it. But it gets better than just Jesus counting for our sin. Like, he just, like, you know, paying, paying off the debt. It gets better than that. I mean, it's, it's better than just, like, Jesus, you know, the bill coming to the table and going, somebody's got to pay, and Jesus goes, I'll pay. It's, it gets better than that. God makes us right by counting Jesus' righteousness on us. And that's, that's the better not only does he count our sin on Jesus, but he counts Christ's righteousness on us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus pays the bill, and he says, oh, by the way, my inheritance, that's yours. Oh, by the way, all that is, you know, like, like by the way, I'm not only just taking away your sins, I'm giving you the rights of being a son or a daughter in the, in the kingdom. You now have my righteousness. See, God not only makes you new, he makes you right, and I think that's important. It's important. I, um, I mean, I want you to believe this, and, and I, I'm, I'm just praying right now, Father, help me to believe this, but I want you to believe this, and I want to believe this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Ooh, man, I'm having like these, okay, all right, so we'll just say it. I feel like the enemy sometimes says, no, the old self is your real self. 
I feel like the enemy does that, and we have an enemy. The Bible talks about it, and this may be too mystical for you. If you're new to Christianity, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be mystical for a second. We have an enemy. He's a liar. He's an accuser, and sometimes he says, your old self is your real self, and the Bible says, no, it's not true. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And at some point, like, we have to look at the text and go, is this, is this true of me or not? Is it, is it not true of me? And the legalist in us, like, the, man, the one who, the, the, the justice seeker in us, just sometimes can't let Jesus forgive. And sometimes the justice seeker in us just can't let him pay for it. And the check comes to the table, we're like, I, you know, we reach for our wallet, and we know we got nothing in it. I did that the other day. I, I literally was like, uh, somebody goes, I'll take it. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, I was doing the fake. I didn't even have my wallet in my pants. It was, it was in the car. Uh, and I, I'd totally forgotten it, and I was like, uh, I'm glad you paid for it. Um, but, you know, it's like, it's like that. And we reach for it, but it's like, Jesus, no, I got it. I don't know what, I mean, maybe the Lord has something for you right now. Maybe the Lord has something for you right now in this room. Maybe he has, there's something in your life right now, and you're going, you know what, I'm still trying to account for it. And you just need the Holy Spirit to say, the Father sent His Son to the world to pay for that. God makes you and everything right because God loves you. And he says, Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. He goes, I know it looks like we're out of our minds sometimes. And like if you're new to Christianity and you come to a worship gathering and people are praising and they're raising their hands or singing, you might be going, these people are out of their minds. He goes, I know it looks like we're out of our minds sometimes. It does, but the love of Christ controls us, man. This is pretty good news that we're celebrating. And this is pretty awesome stuff. And, but pay attention to our message because our message is persuasive. Like we're talking to you about what Jesus is at work doing and how he's making things new. And sometimes, listen, sometimes I just don't think, I don't think we have the belief that we need to, to just believe that God can do a new thing in your life. And I just want you to know that, that sometimes we just need to leverage the word of God in our hearts so much. Like, he can do a new thing in your life. And if, if, you, if you want that new thing, it's not very complicated. You just confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and say, I want it in my life. N.T. Wright in his book, Paul for Everyone, says, The logic of love outweighs all other logic known to the human race. That sense of love which changes everything and gives people the power to face things and do things they wouldn't otherwise have done is what Paul is talking about in this passage. It's just a love that transforms. It's a love that makes us ambassadors. And here's what happens. What's wrong with the world? Well, the world's falling apart. What will not fix it? A bunch of people trying to take their pound of flesh and seek justice on their own. Who has and is making everything right? Jesus. How do we become ambassadors of that message? That's what I want to just close out with on this. Verse 28 of 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we, the we here is the apostles, but by consequence he's saying, you know, Paul says, follow me as, you know, I'm like Christ. This is he, they're laying down the example. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message as ambassadors. Be reconciled. Like, be reconciled to God. 
again from N.T. Wright, the Messiah has loved me, he says in Galatians 2.20, and given himself for me. Nothing shall separate me from the Messiah's love. As Paul says in Romans 8.35, the Messiah's love gives me new energy. It urges me on. It impels me forward. That's what all love does. It constrains us and forces us to do things. Isn't it interesting how when you love somebody, you do things you wouldn't have done if you didn't love them? This is, what he, this is a, a compelling line. He says, if you want to be free from all constraints, learn to live without love. You want to be, you want to be free from like, all constraints? Like, learn how to, how to live without love. Love compels. The gospel is not just a mechanism for getting people saved. It is the announcement of a love that has changed the world. A love, therefore, takes the people who find themselves loved like this and it sends them out and off into the world to work in a totally new way. So what happens is love transforms and it compels and it moves us. And we represent Jesus to the world by loving in word, in deed, in the ministry of reconciliation. That's how we do it. We go out and we love in word and in deed in the ministry of reconciliation. So here's how you do it. I mean, this is very simple. Everyone's living a story. You're living a story. I'm living a story. Everyone is living a story. And everyone's story takes the same shape. I mean, there's a basic outline for everyone's story. Here's the basic outline for everyone's story. It's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Everybody's story follows this shape. You can call your creation story, your identity story, your fall stories, your problem story, your redemption story is your solution story, and your restoration story is your hope story. Your creation story is like basically what you build your identity around. Isn't it interesting how we've seen people build their identities around all kinds of things in the last few years? They built their identity around their politics. They built their identity around uh, you know their uh, how how they've responded to things. They built their identity around their performance. They built their identity around their businesses or work. They built their identity around, and you can just see like all these people who've 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 built their identity around all these different things. I have built my identity around lots of different things too that I've been exposed for me during this time too. And so there's there's been like whoa. Okay, we have, we have some identity stuff going on. Your, your basic false story is what you, you feel like the problem is. And so if you build your identity around your work, then your basic fall pro- story is like, I'm not, I'm not a great person. I don't have a assurance of my identity until my work is like going great. And then your redemption story will be everything I'm doing to try to fix this thing at my job because my job is really the thing that defines me. Uh, your restoration story is what you hope will happen if that were to go really well. But you can fill this in with all kinds of storylines. I mean, you can turn it into parenting. You know, my identity is being a great parent. But my false story is I'm afraid my kids are going to fall apart. And my redemption story is everything I do, I do for the kids because they're really my salvation. And you're leveraging them for your salvation story. And your hope story is that may- maybe one day your, your kids will prove you worthy. Uh, there's lots of ways this can be framed up. I mean, sometimes it's around our singleness. You know, it's like, man, I, you know, I'm going to either excel at this or I'm going to get married. I'm going to find the right person, and my, my identity is built around that. My fall problems, I don't have the right person. My redemption story is all the things I'm trying to do to get the right person. And then you know, the hope is like when I get the right person, I'll finally be complete. I mean, you can just fill in the blanks. I mean, you can do this endlessly. You can identify all these different identity stories. Well, the basic deal here is this, is that everybody's looking for a solution. Everybody's looking for a solution. In other words, everybody's looking for justice. Everybody's looking to make it right. They say things like, I'll be happy, fulfilled if. I'll be happy, fulfilled, accepted if this thing happens in my life. And to achieve this, I must engage in this redemption story. I must do this redemption thing. I must make it right in this way. And the good news of the gospel is this, my friend. Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. He lived the life you could not live. 
He died the death you should have died. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered your sin and death. Like, that's what he's done. And our significance, like our identity, our acceptedness, isn't in based in our performance. It's based in his performance. And so I don't go to the world and go, here's my resume. I go to the world and go, here's Christ's resume. He counted his righteousness on me. That's his resume. So my identity is secure because it cannot be shaken by what I have done or failed to do. My identity is secure because of what Jesus has done for me. And because our hope is not born from our accomplishments, we can only present our story with humility. And so when you're sharing your story of redemption, you can never share your story as if you're the hero of the story, because you're not. The hero of the story is Jesus always. He's the hero of our story. He's the redeemer. He's the redemption. He's the solution. Here's, here's the basic issue. You were created for good. You were. Man, you were. When God made humanity, he said, this is good. Really good. You were created for good. The problem is, you do bad stuff. <laughs> like, you're not great at being good. That's the problem. And you know it. Like, that's why we're working so hard. That's why Americans are so tired and beat down. It's because we have, we have convinced ourselves that we can work our way to good. Only Christ was good for you. He was good for you. And when you receive that, as your solution, your redemption story, like, he was good for me. It's freeing. Man, it's so free. You're free to fail. You're free to screw up. You're free to blow it. And, and when you do, and you experience his goodness, and you experience his salvation, what happens is that love can, compels you. It controls you. It moves you. And it won't move you perfectly, but it will move you <laughs> to be an ambassador to bring about the message that he's making everything new. That's our hope. He's making me new. He's making everything new. That one day I will be as I should. You know, one of the cool experiences I'm looking forward to in the future reality is I'm looking forward to in the new heavens, new earth reality that God's restoring and making right. I'm looking forward to looking myself in the mirror and having this experience. Nate, you're exactly who you're supposed to be. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. And I'm looking forward to looking at you <laughs> and seeing you exactly who you're supposed to be. Isn't that cool? That's what he's doing. So much of our anxiety over this last year has been all of us trying to make it right, trying to make it right, trying to make it right, and just feeling powerless and making it right. And and it's, it's, that's good work. I mean, it's good work to do justice work and to try to make it right, and it's good work we have to remember only one person has ultimately made it right. And boy, that does free us. Only one person has ultimately made it right. Racial justice, Jesus made it right. Economic justice, Jesus made it right. You know, like everything that's wrong in this city, Jesus is making right. And so when you're looking for your story, you're not going to find it separate from Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's just make a commitment to the blessed practices. To be prayerful. 
be prayerful in your workplace. Be prayerful at the gym or wherever you play. The golf course, where it is for you. Be prayerful in your neighborhood. Be prayerful. Why do you be prayerful? Just asking God for open doors for the gospel. And then to listen, like, what's the bad news story? Like, what are the redemption narratives people are telling me? Like, what are the solutions to their problems they're pursuing? Like, what's the story? Eat with them. Experience community with people. Serve them and lay down your life for them. The way Christ has laid down his life for you. And when the opportunity comes, because you've been praying for it, and when you pray for it, the opportunity would come, you get to share your story. You, go, you can say, you know what happened for me? I was working really hard trying to prove myself worthy and I met Jesus. And he alone has made me worthy. I've been working really hard to set my life to s- straight and I met Jesus and only he could do it. And he did it. And you share your story. And that's it. That's it. You don't have to commit today to be the most amazing evangelist of all time. You just have to commit today to saying, you know, I'm committed to being prayerful, listening, eating, serving, and sharing my story when the, when the time comes. And if you're doing the other three, the other, if you're doing being prayerful, listening, eating, and serving, if you're doing that, time will come. And you'll have the opportunity to share your story. So, Father, as we hit pause just for a second and say, can we commit to it today? Can we do it? Um, I pray you'd even just, I mean, just be direct with us, Holy Spirit. Like, direct us to people in places that we live, work, and play. Just direct us to people that we need to be praying for and listening to and eating with and serving and sharing the good news story with. Uh, It seems apparent to me that that right now, like, the thing that um, I'm most frustrated in in the world is just all of the vindictiveness and reviling for reviling and evil for evil and um, this idea of bringing a, you know, being ambassadors of reconciliation has really kind of challenged me this week. And so, Father, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't know how to do it in my work. I don't know how to do it in my life. And I'm, you know, still, like, even live in front of everybody processing it with you. I don't know how to do it. Um, but I pray you give me wisdom in it, uh, that you'd help me to figure out this ministry of reconciliation. And I pray that for everybody here. That maybe there's, a, there's a, some figuring to do in reconciliation in a marriage or some figuring to do in a reconciliation in a workplace or some figuring to do in reconciliation in, the, you know, in mission, whatever the mission is you've called us to. And I just, um, I pray for your wisdom. I lack it. I mean, I lack wisdom. And so I ask you for it, that we might press on wisely. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to sing a couple songs, and during this time, you're free to take communion as you feel uh, the Lord leads. So there are tables in the corners of the room. Uh, at those tables are like individually packaged communion, and there's bread there, and you can break their bread and remember Christ's body broken for you. You can take the cup, remember His blood shed for you. I guess you could you could just go to the table and go, um, hey, um, you know, this I don't know this is, I don't know if you do this. So I, you know, sometimes like I'm making an application, and I'm like hoping I'm not the only one, you know, in the room. Uh, I'm hoping I'm not the only one that, that doesn't forgive myself well. I'm hoping I'm not the only one who wants to pay, you know, the price for the things I've done. Um, and so I need the Lord's table because sometimes I just need to just confess all over again, thank you for paying the price. Like, thank you for counting it, right? And receive forgiveness. I mean, such a, like just, I, I think it'd be a cool experience today if somebody came to the table with a heavy heart and left knowing their forgiveness. That'd be really cool. Uh, Just all over again. Just the gospel all over again. We need it every day, all over again.
Uh, you know, my prayer, I was praying about justice and, you know, th- making things right. On Monday, I've got some meetings with some contractors at our new space, and we spent all week this week just praying over the neighborhood, walking the neighborhood as a staff team, asking God for a vision for justice. And it may be like, as you're praying just for yourself, you might just pray today for the community of faith at New City, that we would be ambassadors of reconciliation and be known for the place that reconciles the broken things. And I'm praying that, and you could pray that. And so if you just want to pray, you know, for yourself, but you want to pray for the church family and how we could reconcile the broken things together, like we could do it together, you could do that. 